Welcome, everybody, back to the Clear Out Podcast with your host, Matt Brooks. We are brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts, and today I'm joined by, I think, my most requested guest. Mark, welcome back. Everybody loved you last time coming on the show. Um, brought a lot of really, really interesting things to the table that I hadn't thought about, so I'm, I'm thrilled to have you back here and see how you're going to open up my mind today. Uh, thanks for having me on again. I'm glad people wanted me back. Hopefully, I don't embarrass myself again so we'll, well you, see well you said this last time you said i hope i don't embarrass myself and it clearly went pretty well so we might as well see if we can make it two for two um speaking of of making a two for two or uh <laughs> <laughs> trying to do anything of the sort the nets are they're coming off a nice victory well i don't want to say nice they're coming off a victory in washington um a game where they got a I'll call it, I don't want to say outlier performance from LaMarcus, because that sounds super disrespectful, like he's been very good this year offensively, but it was quite the night from him. I think they got, what, 26 points out of him. That's a lot to get from a 36-year-old that definitely kept him afloat, and um, down the stretch, they really wanted to give that game up. So for you, uh, did you see any, I know we kind of talked a little bit off air, there wasn't anything that was super notable, but was there like even little details that you saw from that game? I think the biggest thing was less like the offense in the second quarter where they started just spamming scissors like four times in a row. And then they proceeded to not run it at all in the second half. And I was like confused as to why they did that. That was probably like the main thing that stood out to me in the game. Yeah, this is, I'm excited to have you on. Cause I think there's like only other, there's like one other person in the Nets universe. That's excited as, about the scissors play as I am. Um, you did a really, really good uh, video that I'm going to try to actually link uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll go dig that up last year, just kind of talking about how they ran this scissors set and how it evolved. So uh, just a brief overview. Scissor is where usually like it's a big man that stands at the nail or the middle of the free throw line. And then on top of him, kind of in the middle, I guess, of the three point line and the half court, uh, two guards or just creators uh, come together and kind of split apart. It's, it's a really cool play. And that usually turns into a handoff or a short range pass, I guess. It's it's, it was a really good look, and for them yesterday, they got some nice shots at the rim. Uh, I believe LaMarcus had a, a, did he dunk it, or was it just sort of like a drop-in, like, old man dunk, where you're like, you're at the mm. rim, you're not quite able to, to slam it home, but regardless, they got some good looks out of that, and um, it was nice to see that. It was weird that they didn't go with it. I think the last time they ran it was at the 12-minute mark in the third quarter. That's after they put together like a 140 offensive rating in the first half and got pretty much anything they wanted out of that set. They scrapped it. It was very weird. Yeah, that was the weird thing for me about that game. And I didn't think that offense was going to be sustainable. When they were leading by like 12 at halftime and they were shooting like 63% at half, I'm like, yeah, I don't think you're going to win this game. But they ended up winning. So I was like, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, um... I, I yeah I mean for me like the thing that stood out was the defense at the end of the game like the the defense in the clutch was just so bad and it's been uh just a trend recently like the lack of attention to detail um I think I, I actually had Lucas Kaplan and we talked about rotations that are more like secondary uh secondary help rotations so not when the guy like a low man helps over but the guy after that 
who's going to like sink down to the corner. No, so those those rotations are still not happening a ton for the Nets, if at all. But the big problem now is just even the primary hope, help rotations for the Nets, where it's literally just, hey, uh, the Wizards run a pick and roll. Uh, Montrezl Harrell breaks free because LaMarcus is, if he's even like half a step off in drop, he's just so slow at this point that at, you're kind of screwed from there. So let's say that happens. The help defender, which I think I grabbed a couple clips of the recap I wrote last night, uh, it was typically uh, Harden and it was typically Kyrie in those stretches. They'd either rotate over late or just not rotate at all or or rotate and not really put their hands up. Like It's just been, the help defense has been really bad and it's kind of continued this trend recently where, you know, not only is the help late, but even as the possession's going on, as the pick and roll's going on before anything happens, those help defenders are, like, way, way too up in the corner, essentially. Like, face guarding the corner shooters versus being in the right position to actually get in front of the rim and either take a charge or try to bother the roller. It's It's been very bizarre. So um, that, that, for me, was my big takeaway. It was just, like, a really emblematic game of what's been wrong with the defense currently. Yeah, the defense, this, I, I mean, we talked about it the last time, like the defense has kind of been like a little bit of fool's goal when you look at like some of the stats early on in the season. They were ranked, what, like top 10, top 12 in like December-ish. And then when you look at stats, it's like, oh yeah, opponents are shooting like 30% from like 25, 26 out, or 25 to 29 feet out. And it's like, that's just not sustainable. People are missing shots at the rim. And now if you look more closely in like the month of January, you see like opponents are shooting 64%-ish at the rim against the Nets on NBA stats. So those sort of things are now starting to, like, kind of level out and regress to the mean or what we think should happen for this team. The help defense, yeah, if Kyrie and Harden are your help defenders, especially Harden, he's not moving an inch. He's not going to give a shit to help on defense. Um, what you were talking about, like, the secondary and tertiary rotations, I remember, and, like, this was probably, like, the beginning of, like, the Nets defense looking, like, really bad was I remember they had that Clippers game in Brooklyn. So they just demolished the Clippers in LA. They come back like maybe two games later, they got to play the Clippers and they had like the final possession against the Clippers. And I think it was like Reggie Jackson ran a pick and roll with whoever Harden was guarding and Reggie Jackson had Bembry on him or something. Right. And then the screen makes contact. And I think like one of the rules when it comes to like switching, if the screen makes contact, you have to switch or you generally would switch. Right. But if it doesn't make contact, you don't do anything. You just kind of go back to your man. Right, so I think Harden was guarding Eric Bledsoe and Ben Bruce guarding Reggie Jackson. So Bledsoe sets a screen to get Harden on Reggie Jackson. But Reggie Jackson doesn't do anything with the ball. So Ben Bruce's like, yo, I just want to get the matchup. Go back to Eric Bledsoe. So then Eric Bledsoe just slips into open space, gets a short roll pass, and then James Johnson comes up, picks him up. Then Terrence Mann is open in the corner. And Kevin Durant should be the guy that sinks down to take Terrence Mann, and he doesn't take Tanch man, and then he gets an open three and they win the game. It's just like little stuff like that that's just kind of like existed and now it's like kind of becoming a little bit more obvious with this team. KD's been a big, like maybe other than, <laughs> I feel like anything we're going to say defensively, we have to preface with other than Harden uh, because my Lord, like that, I want to get into that in just a second. Um, but KD's been one of the big, uh, I guess, one of the people I've noticed the most in terms of those secondary tertiary rotations he just hasn't made them this year I, I i don't think he's been very good off ball this year and like you'll even see that there i can probably 
I don't know, the, the weak side rejections that he's had this year. It just feels like he hasn't had a ton. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but it's it's been kind of a weird year for him defensively. Part of that is just like how overstretched he is offensively. Uh, I wanted to read a couple numbers right now. Opponents are shooting 37.6% against the Nets from three. Uh, that is 26th in the league since January. So these stats are all going to be since, I guess, the turn of the year. Uh, and their defense in 2022 has slipped all the way down to 27th. They are allowing 118.4 points per 100 possessions. Uh, that's not good. Um, and the only teams below them right now are Chicago, Houston, and Atlanta. So, you know, two teams that I, you know, in Houston and Atlanta that have been really bad at defense all year. Chicago that's just kind of going through it. Uh, and is getting guys healthy. It's it's just been the shooting luck has really regressed in a way that I I knew was happening or was going to happen, but just to see it this significant is is it's a little jarring. Yeah, it's not really surprising that they're regressing back to the mean. I think it's kind of they're in a weird spot because I know we're probably going to talk about this a little bit later with Nash, but like they're in a weird situation where their best players are all players that are really offensively inclined. And all the defensive players just can't do anything offensively. So it just cramps everything up on that end. So they're just fitting. If they want to be a defensive-minded team, they're going to have to sacrifice the offense. And when they do that, it doesn't really go well for them. So they're kind of just stuck in terms of what they can do because you can't play like Bruce Brown and Bembry together and like try to deal with point-of-attack defense and things like that or primary ball handlers because your offense is going to suffer. The other thing too with like Kevin Durant, it was always weird to me that like people were talking about Kevin Durant as like an all defensive team this year, right? Because when you watch Kevin Durant, it's like really subtle things that you don't notice and don't really show up. So like sometimes the biggest thing for me was that the off ball defense and just kind of losing his man on like relocations was probably like the biggest thing to me. There would be times where it's like he's watching the ball and then as he's watching as the ball, his man relocates. And like, let's say like maybe like Joel Embiid's like posting up Whoever Katie's guarding moves, relocates, Joel passes it to him. And then Katie's like a second or so late in terms of reacting like, oh, shit, that's my guy. Then the pass gets made and then it's like, oh, okay, he gets an open shot. But Katie can recover because he's just so long. And I remember like the Mavs game, for example, I that game was like awful. But the Mavs game, they had like a fourth quarter and KD got beat on back cuts like three or four times in a row because he was just staring at Luka Doncic the entire time. And he didn't get punished for it, but it's just like, that's just little things that just you notice. He, but like you said, he has like a huge offensive load for this team. Same thing with goals with Harden, but Harden is a little less defensible in terms of his defensive effort. But yeah, KD's just been so overstretched this season that I can kind of understand why he isn't locked in or doing everything or doing everything properly on defense all the time. Yeah, um, it it feels like he's like mentally resting a lot on defense is probably the best like the best way I can describe it. Um, you know, and and just I think the other part of it too is, you know, let's say the ball's on one side of the floor, he's on the weak side, uh, and and a guy is drifting down the baseline or rising up the wing. Um, you know, he has that wingspan that you mentioned, like that affords him a lot of flexibility. And in a way, it's like a little bit of a gift and a curse because if he loses his guy, he can still kind of make up so much ground because he's so long that he's able to to get away with it in a way that other guys wouldn't. Like Patty Mills, if Patty Mills spaced out on the weak side and his guy, you know, 
relocated a little bit. Like it's that's about as open of a three as you can get. So um, I want to talk about Harden. Honestly, like it's been bad this year. I, I I've kind of, I I don't want to like pile on too much, but I in my opinion I think this is the worst defensive season I've seen from him. Um, and you know, there's the years where he was what on like YouTube compilations making off ball mistakes. And like, I get that. And like, that's fine. But now he's such a blow by guy in a way that just, I don't recall that being such a problem last year. Now, part of that's that they're, you know, they're switching everything, but still they're switching a lot. So it it's like, he's getting blown by pretty much everybody. Like the only guy that he's really, and I, I was texting you this last night. Uh, the only guy that has really been able to stay in front of was Luka Doncic when it was the first couple weeks of the season. He was, you know, what, 260 or so. I think that's what the reporting said. So, um, you know, like that, that's been a big problem for him. Um, he can't stay in front of anybody. He's, you know, the same off ball defender that he's been for a couple years. And if, if, if not even worse, um, you know, you'll notice it in transition. The, The other team will push the pace and in transition goal is to protect the rim first and foremost fine and then check out for guys in the corners and if you can try to get to your man so he will a lot of times just run straight into the paint and not move and it doesn't matter if there's a teammate in there it doesn't matter if Blake Griffin's in there is going to be a better rim protector in the first place and we'll try to take a charge it just doesn't matter he'll just stand in the paint doesn't matter what happens with the play easy kick to the corner three and it's a lot of times it's either Harden's man or somebody that Harden could have gotten to and it's Things like that where it's like, you're just, I don't know what, like, what are you standing there for? It's really bizarre. And he does this too. He'll, he'll load up, um, in the paint and it's like against matchups that you don't need to be loading up against. It's very weird. And that just opens up a skip pass to the opposite corner. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a scheme thing on that second part, but it's just, it feels off. Yeah. Like, I want to be kind to Harden because obviously he's coming back from the hamstring injury and he has, like, a huge offensive burden for this team now, especially that Katie's going to be out and you have Kyrie kind of being in and out, right? And he's pretty much the primary initiator for this team. But he's, like, objectively the worst defender that I think I've seen play. But it's just, like, super – he just doesn't move, like you said. Like, he's been targeted a little bit more recently. I remember the third game of the year, I think they played against Charlotte at home. Right. And I remember like that third quarter or just like the entire game, they were attacking him and pick and roll like LaMelo and LaMelo was just blowing by him every time, just getting to the rim. I remember the game they just played recently against Milwaukee. They had Milwaukee was like pushing in semi-transition and Giannis had the ball. Right. And I think Harden was guarding Bobby Portis in semi-transition and Katie was on Giannis. Right. And Giannis is like backing down Katie at the three point line. And you see Harden, loading up near like the dunker spot so he's not really helping kd at all right and then bobby portis swings around all the way to the weak side corner and then Giannis just goes a dart Mm. to the corner on bobby portis and it's like yo you're just sitting in the dunker spot not doing anything and then your man just gets open for a three because they relocated and you didn't follow like you have the other play against cleveland the other night where i think laurie marketing got a cross screen from the left side to the right side and then it was lamarcus aldridge and harden on the right side and then Harden's just sitting in the dunker spot underneath the rim. And then Laurie Markin is just sitting wide open in the slot and he makes a three. And then you had yesterday where it's like 
they're, I think it was Washington pushing in semi-transition after a miss or something. I think Kyrie missed it. And Kuzma's just going, filling in the corner. And then Harden just loses him in the corner. And then Kuzma makes it a really important three. It's just like, you're missing, you're just messing up on like really important situations and plays. And I don't really understand it to a degree. But yeah. Well, the other part is they played like a lot of, a couple of, I guess, a pair of stretch bigs recently uh, with Kuzma and and Laurie Markkinen. And like the idea is, well, we're playing this small lineup. Uh, we're going to play, uh, we're going to play Harden on Laurie Markkinen or Kuzma because we're, I think we're not gonna make Patty Mills guard those guys. Um, and, you know, it, it'll ideally showcase his best attribute, which is post defense, probably his only defensive attribute at this point. And um, that's a problem because those guys are going to be relocating, coming off screens, running pick and pops, um, doing everything of, of that sort. Or or also just if you're in Kyle Kuzma's case, getting out in transition and trying to beat everybody down the floor. And it's just it's, it feels like even worse <laughs> than him guarding, I don't know, uh, hiding him on, on a non-shooter in the corner. I mean, I get the idea is to take away the post offense, but man, they're just getting burned on stuff. And it's just, it's been tough to watch. Um, that, you know, I mean, it is, is pick and roll defense also is just, it's like, I, I don't know what you, I don't know what you do with Harden right now <laughs> defensively. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, too, is just like we mentioned, it's really hard to play any of the key defensive players on the team to kind of minimize what he doesn't do because they just don't have the offensive skill set. And then especially now, too, without Claxton and things of that nature, you just don't have a good drop big or good defensive big in any of these lineups. So it just makes it even worse. Yeah. Yeah, no. And that's 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 an important part, too, is like you don't have any of that back line. Like Sharp has been um, a mixed. Uh, yeah, he was better, I thought yesterday to minus all the fouling uh he was i thought a little bit better defensively against the wizards but it's it's been a little bit of an adventure and then we know that lamarcus is you know kind of limited um just in his mobility uh do you have any other thoughts on harden before we move on to Kyrie? no i don't have any thoughts about harden what's been your what, what are your thoughts on Kyrie? what do you what have you seen so far it's really impressive that this man just was out for like two whole months and just walked in and decided to be an all NBA player again. It's pretty crazy. He's so good. <laughs> He's so good. Like yesterday was, it's been an experience watching Kyrie. It honestly has just, I mean, the flexibility, the, the just, I, the, I mean, the dribbling moves that he's able to seam together are one thing, but just the flexibility, the rim finishing, the fact that he feels just as comfortable being around NBA bodies and like maneuvering through them um, after all that time off, it's like he just hasn't lost a step. It's, it's, I mean, it's every cliche you can think of. It's like riding a bike, I guess, for him. Um, but yeah, he's been great. Uh, I, I've been really impressed by him, the, the pace that he's added to their, to their offense. It's been really nice in terms of when Harden's off the floor, it's just, it feels more conducive to like running actual offense in like winning minutes because you can put a bunch of not shooters around Kyrie. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's been so good at getting to his spots. It's, it's been pretty sensational for them. So uh, those minutes yesterday where it was just him kind of operating and figuring things out uh, it's, it's yeah, he's just been impressive. I think, yeah, the big thing has been, he's definitely increased the pace for his team. Definitely. When you see the ball in his hands, they're definitely going up the court a lot faster compared to Harden where he just usually gets the ball and just 
kills eight seconds just dribbling up the court. The thing with Kyrie that's like super impressive to me, and like you mentioned it, is just his dribbling ability and just how like he sells so many of his moves. He's just like a total master of selling his dribble moves and what he's going to do or what he wants you to think he's doing and then just using it to his advantage. So like I was just scrolling through like all the plays that he made this year. Like there was a play yesterday where he was guarded by Denny Advia, right? And he's driving to his left. He goes behind the back to his right. And then he takes one extra step to sell a drive and then uses it as a way to gather a step back. And then he makes a tough fadeaway jumper. Like that's something that he really likes to do, just using step back, not using step backs, but using like behind the backs and then taking like an extra dribble to make space to sell a drive and then using it as a way to get a jumper off. Uh, like there was a play at the end of the Cavs game where it was like the, it was like the final important possession for the Nets that pretty much sealed a Cavs win that Evan Moby stopped a Kyrie drive. Like he had a play where he was getting screened by he was getting screen a screen for Marcus Aldridge, right? So Marcus Aldridge was setting a screen. He was setting it to his left initially, but then he flipped it like last second. And then he accepts the screen, goes right, and he hesitates for like one millisecond and sells like a pull-up jumper by looking upward at the rim. He freezes Jared Allen, and then he immediately goes left and drives to the rim, but Evan Moby like walls him off. Like, him and his spin moves are really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he hit Dinwiddie with his spin move yesterday, too, where, like, he had Dinwiddie going to his left, and then he immediately spin to his right just as a way to get a jumper off. Like, head fakes and pump fakes. Like, he's just super impressive just to watch. And it's, like, so crazy how fluid he is with the ball in his hands. You also forget how quick he is and also how good he is at maintaining that speed and then somehow, like, rising up like he didn't just like on the spin moves or he'll spin so f- he spins so fast like he spins who's another like John Walls another guy that just they spin so fast but Kyrie's able to do that and then hit a jumper and like hit a perfect jumper his balance is absolutely where you need it to be it's it's he's been very he's just been sensational and his shooting too just even on the possessions where and it's like such a stark difference from Harden where Let's say, you know, Kyrie, the set is not for Kyrie. They're not running anything for Kyrie. Even just having Kyrie in the corner, uh, there was a, I think it was actually one of the scissor plays where the one I just mentioned where uh, LaMarcus got the like old man dunk. The help help rotation, I want to say it was KCP, was hesitate a little bit. Wasn't sure. Do I need to rotate? Oh wait, Kyrie's in the weak side corner. Uh, what do I do? Okay, let me see who's on the wing. Oh shit, it's Patty Mills right next to Kyrie. That means that we need to nail two rotations from there. You could just sort of see all that go through his head, and then they end up with a, a shot at the rim and a dunk. Um, and it's just like having that element uh, really just out there for the Nets is it's it just adds a lot. And it and the other thing I've really noticed is. You know, A, they're running all these different sets, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But B, it kind of feels like to me, just having Kyrie out there, you see more what the vision is for this coaching staff, like the the things that they're running. Everything looks a lot more fluid, and that's not just because he's really talented. It genuinely seems like, oh, this is what they prepared for in training camp and all these sets and all these designs and even just go-to actions that they run. Um, now they're actually getting to showcase that uh, versus like trying to figure it out on the fly as they were during the first couple weeks of the year. Kind of similar to, I guess, what they had to do last year during the COVID season, where there wasn't much of a training camp. It's weird. It's kind of like the Nets did that twice in a row 
just by not having the same roster as they had in actual training camp in San Diego this year. So I think that that's the other thing I've noticed is it's like, oh, here's the team that they were preparing for, and this is the ideas that they've had. Yeah, I definitely think like them not having Kyrie at the start of training camp because you know he hasn't been vaccinated. That obviously probably threw a wrench in what they wanted to do offensively. And obviously now they're playing a little bit more with spacing, having guys like Kessler Edwards out there. And now you could see like the offense looks a lot better and probably closer to what they wanted it to be compared to what it was where they're just cramped playing two non-shooters. Yeah, it's um it's it's worked out. They've they've been they've gotten very I don't want to say lucky cuz like they the the way that they drafted was not luck. There was a lot of scouting that went into that, but it's definitely felt like they've had two really good things happen at once with Kyrie coming back, obviously, but also just having these rookies come in and add different elements, even if they're not perfect um, at, at what they do, just adding certain things that the team didn't have beforehand, spacing, rolling, um, even a little bit of secondary scoring with Cam Thomas. Um, those things that just, they weren't at their disposal. Having that now next to Kyrie, I think has added a lot. Um, we talked about, the coaching staff, what they've been preparing for. And you suggest this last night. And I was like, that is such a good idea. I, this is like the one thing I really haven't touched on too much on this podcast. Um, and I've been just accused as like a Nash, a Nash, a big, somebody that sympathizes with Nash. I'm like a Nash putting on the pom-poms. I've gotten that a bunch on Twitter. So I, I you know, I think this is good. We're going to talk about what we thought about Steve Nash's performance so far. Um, so I'll let you go first. Like, what have you thought about, this year for him, do you think he's been as good as he was last year? Do you think he's lived up to expectations? Uh, how do you think he's performed, I guess, to against other teams or against relative to other coaches in the league? I would definitely say the performance has been weird. I would probably lean towards saying he's been more bad than good, but I don't really think it's entirely his fault. I think, obviously, the circumstance at the beginning of the year probably wasn't ideal. You expect Kyrie to be there and then you plan for the offense and he's not there. So you kind of get a wrench thrown and now you're going to have to kind of make shift on the fly, figure out, okay, all these sets that we had in mind for the big three, we can't really utilize them in the same manner when Kyrie's not there, one of them's not there. So we have to adjust on the fly. Uh, and then on top of that, you have Joe Harris gets hurt. And then now you really don't have any shooting outside of like Harden, Joe, Harden, Katie and Patty Mills. Um, the other thing, too, was like regression. Certain players like Blake Griffin just not being able to hit a three at all really mattered for this team because he was, what, like a 39% three-point shooter last year, and now, God, he's probably like less than 20%. Hey, but he, he made one uh, against the Cavs the other night. Good for him. He uh, also, the other thing, his rim shooting fell off, too. He's shooting, he shot 63% at the rim last year. Uh, he's at four, 54% at the rim this year, which is the sixth percentile at his position. Not good. He's... Yeah, it's not good. Uh, the other part I would say is I understand the experimentation on his part for the season, like certain things, like even though I personally didn't like the idea, I understood why you would play like Claxton, Marcus Aldridge against Philly, like um, starting DeAndre Bembry, trying Bruce Brown out again, giving guys like second chances like Blake. But then there's like certain stuff that just shouldn't have been happening, like Javon Carter getting as much runtime as he was early in the season shouldn't have happened. Like, Blake Griffin needed to be benched a lot earlier than he should have. He just, like you mentioned, he's not shooting threes. He's not finishing at the rim anymore. Like, he can, he's a really good connector player, but 
if you're just a connector and you can't do anything offensively and you have no other offensive utility outside of that, your skill set is kind of useless, especially as a center. Um, like the David Duke minute lineups just made zero Weird. sense. At, made zero sense. And like they were sitting DeAndre Bembry for him. And then the game, like one of the games that they played David Duke was like the indie game that Kyrie came back. And DeAndre Bembry is like a big reason why they ended up winning that game, right? So it's just a super weird team, a super weird performance by him. Also, LaMarcus Aldridge, like Griffin lineup should not be happening. So I kind of understood it for the Cavs game because the Cavs played big, but it was like, dude, this is not working. Why are we doing this? And he even acknowledged like it doesn't work. And he in, still does In March of last year. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I don't know. I The double big lineups are confounding to me. Because we like we saw the first game of the year against Milwaukee, it was like, oh, yeah, just because they're playing bigger does not mean that they're rebounding more or playing tougher. It just means that they're slower and older, and the floor spacing is worse, uh, and and they're just generally less threatening when they have two bigs out there. Like this, this strategy just clearly did not work, and it's weird that we still see these double big lineups in in key games um and also like in that in that Cavs game not only did they have a double big lineup they also had Bruce Brown out there with them which was just like and and then I think it was Harden who was running point and it's like like I feel bad for James Harden <laughs> like what is he supposed to do with this that lineup like if you're going to do that if you if if you insist on playing this, those guys instead of putting if you're like nah, we want to keep Patty Mills fresh for the very end of the game that's fine. Play Kyrie with that group because Kyrie can create. He can score from three levels. He doesn't need. It, it's not a. He's not a, like a drive-in kick player that requires um, a, a roller. Kyrie doesn't even require a screen. Like he just needs a little opening of space. So play Kyrie with that lineup. If you're going, if you have to play those three guys together, put Kyrie out there. But it's it's little things like that that I've just been. I don't know. It's it's. I've said it. I think pretty much since I started this podcast, there's just little attention to detail things. I think I talked about it with you. The spacing has been bad, a because of the roster, but even b just looking at who's placed where. Why is DeAndre Bembry or David Duke in the corner? There was a couple possessions against the the uh, Pacers when they had the big three. It's like why is David Duke in the corner? <laughs> I don't understand the upside there. Put him in the dunker and put somebody else there and you can play, you know, what, I guess uh, one guy on the weak side and make it a single side tag. Uh, or, or I guess, yeah, and then have two guys on the other side with David Duke there. Uh, I, I, It's just, it's little things like that where I just don't, I just don't fully understand the methodology. And um, it's weird that we're still seeing trends that we know don't work in January. Um, so those have been my big issues with him and I I also I mean I think everybody on this team is pretty easy going but just like the changing rotations where one week David Duke is a starter for four games and then you know Benbury's out of the rotation it's just I don't know it's very bizarre yeah that was weird to me because it's like I understand like David Duke Jr. had like a really big game against the Raptors and played a big role in terms of like why they won that game but like prior to that COVID outbreak that starting unit of like Arden, Patty, Katie, Bembry, and the Marcus Aldridge is perfectly fine. So why is it that after the outbreak, you're like, yeah, we're just not going to go to that lineup again when everybody's back. It's like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Like, I I, I understand, like, you want to please as many people as you can, and I think that's part of the reason why he might be doing this, where it's like, 
you know, these guys are coming in outside of like the rookies, like a lot of these guys on this team are vets maybe thought had, they thought they had a chance of getting minutes and they want to give those guys an opportunity to show like, Hey, you have a chance to get your minutes if you play well or fit in well, but like they just haven't played well. And at a certain point, I don't want to be like rude, but you have to kind of like give up and realize like, okay, you just don't work with this team. We have to try something else or we have to stop playing you. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and it, it sort of feels like they're finally doing that. Like Javon Carter's just out of the rotation. Bruce has been mostly out, uh, which I think is the right thing. God, the Bruce Brown performance this year is maybe pretty sad. It's the, the floater regression has been brutal. And I, I even defensively too, like he was so good for those first three weeks. And just recently, the, um, you know, the, the point of attack defense, part of it's that they've stopped calling the rules the way they were. But part of the other part is just like, he just has been less up in guys jerseys. Uh, and that his off ball defense, I think has been kind of off all year. So, you know, I, they're making those adjustments. Paul Millsap's just never really gotten the shot, which you know, a shot to play, which probably need to give up on Paul at this point. <laughs> might be might be the end of the road for him. Uh but they're they're settling into a rotation that I think makes sense. But still, like there's still moments where, hey, you still know what your guys look like. I think this is your core group of guys, at least until you get Joe Harris back um and KD back. But you still have these moments where you're you're playing odd combinations that don't make a ton of sense. And I feel like you should know who plays well and who doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, we're at that point in the season where it's like, if you kind of don't know who plays well and who doesn't, it's kind of like, what do you, what's the process or what's the thinking about playing all these guys still? Yeah. No, and even like Dayron Sharp and Griff Blake playing, it's just kind of like, all right, it'll look good in moments because they're good passers. But in the, in the, like, I guess on a more stretched out sample, that's not going to work. <laughs> just with, yeah. It, it space is big. Like it's going to space Blake Griffin pretty much automatically. Uh, Cause you know, like you, otherwise you're, what are you going to do? Put Dayron, I guess in the dunker spot where he's going to sit there and wait for offensive rebounds. I guess that's the only other thing you could do. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's been very bizarre. Uh, the t- Do you mind his timeouts? I know people always get on him about timeouts. I'm not like super attentive to that stuff. Um, I think there's some times where I'm like, why aren't you calling a timeout? But majority of the time, I don't really think much of it. Yeah, I I never notice, but and I maybe it's just because like, I don't know. I I, I this year I feel like he's called timeouts. If if a run's like getting really out of hand, he'll call a timeout. Then like the first year, he just even wouldn't even call a timeout. Then uh, this year, he's at least doing that. He could probably call it a, a little bit earlier, but that stuff's really hard to do in the moment. Um, anything else that like we haven't really touched on with with him and coaching this year? I think the hard thing kind of has to bounce. I know like he's mentioned that he doesn't want to run like Katie and Harden into the ground, but if they don't run Katie and Harden oh, into the God. ground, they're probably they're probably losing like every game because this team just doesn't have the legs in the offense to make it work. So yeah. he's kind of just he's just stuck. Yeah, he's put he's been put in a really hard spot, which is also for me makes it really hard to evaluate him this year. Um, I do, I am with you. I do think he's probably been more bad than good, and there's just the little things have just sort of added up in a way that I don't remember them um, doing last year. But that said, he was given a roster that I I don't really know what the thinking was in terms of the guys that they added. I don't know how you look at last year's team and say. Hey, the, the best thing that we have, other than having this top-end talent, 
is the spacing, is the problems that we create for other teams by giving these three amazing players an open floor the way we did. It's just, I'm surprised that you went away from that in a way. Because um, that's really, to me, that's was their best attribute was their spacing. Their spacing was nuts last year. It was They were the best spacing in the league, maybe other than the Clippers, but I'd probably pick them over the Clippers even. Um, this year, they don't have that. And because of that, Nash has got to make tough decisions. The shot creation isn't there with guys being in and out, and you can't play the three-pointer game that, that would keep you afloat the way you could last year when guys were out. So um, it's it's tricky, and I think that makes it really hard to fully evaluate what Nash has done this year. Yeah, definitely, especially with KD. But even when KD was there, like the math was just isn't, isn't in their favor, especially without Joe Harris. Like they just take so many mid rangers, and they just did not take any threes, right? And they just don't have the three point shooters really. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and it turns down to a lot of like KD hero ball down the stretch because like what else are you gonna run really? Uh, you know, it's it's which is you know again gonna put a lot of. Uh, minutes on his legs, and that's the big thing. You want to keep him fresh for the postseason. Um, we'll we'll touch a little bit on the rookies, and I want to talk about sets at the end because, of course, I do. Uh, what have, what have been your impressions? Who stood out to you? Uh, so Dayron's been pretty interesting. So I wrote about Dayron during the off season. I just like looked at all his passing assists when he was at UNC, and also when he was in high school. I think. The biggest question I had for Dayron, I thought his passing was legit in UNC, but the way that his passing was utilized in college, it wasn't going to be the same way it was replicated in the NBA. So like at UNC, he would get passing opportunities through like post-ups and obviously the Nets aren't going to give him post-up opportunities, right? And they also allowed him to do like high-low actions. So he would be at like the elbow or at the nail and he would go over the top to like another big or something. Obviously the Nets aren't going to do that either, right? The only person that does like high-lows is like Harden and KD. But the big question I had for Dayron just coming into the league is like, okay, you're clearly a plus passer, but how are you going to look when, you know, Harden gets trapped and you're like a release valve passer and you have to make a decision on a short roll or something, right? How does he look then? And he's looked really good for a rookie center. Like all the rookie centers that have come in, come in Brooklyn since Sean Marks has been here, he's easily the best passer that they've had as a rookie. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, uh, he's also he's just like a good connective passer too, um, you know. So, I mean, a great example was actually weirdly when him and Blake shared the floor. Uh, you know, if, if if he grabs an offensive rebound, he grabs it and instantly is gonna yeah. tap it over. Like he's just got those little passes where it's clear his head is always up, um, and he's always scanning the floor in a way that you know where let's take like Nicholas Claxton. Nicholas Claxton is staring at directly what's in front of him and if anything he's thinking about okay i'm gonna grab this rebound here's what post move i'm gonna hit it's it's not a read and react situation um dayron's obviously very different where he's always reading he's always taking in information and making decisions from there so that's really stood out to me that the short roll stuff has been really nice um just having a guy that can make those read to the corners uh is really really helps the nets um as teams tend to blitz Harden more and more as the season has progressed. Uh, so he's he's been ex- exceptional. I've really liked. I've really I've just liked him on offense altogether. The rolling's been good. Uh, he's a smart screen setter. He's just very tactical about the way he sets his screens. Um, knows what angles he wants to take, and and how to set a screen to give himself the best angle. The rebounding is 
I mean, I, I knew it was going to translate, but still, even sometimes you watch, like, I don't really know how he got that. Because he's not, like, an explosive leaper at all. Really not. Yeah. That's probably, I, like, my one big knock on him is that he doesn't really get off the floor very well. Right? When you watch him, like, the last two games, he's been blocked, I think, four times. He got blocked by, like, three times by Jared Allen. And I think he got blocked once by Evan Mobley. And he got blocked by Rui Hachimori yesterday. And, like, he has a bad habit, too, of he tends to put the ball on the floor and then he tries to go back up, and that's not great because it obviously gives a defender more time to get back into play and then measure up you and attempt to block the shot. So that's probably my big thing with him, but that's not something they can fix, obviously, midseason. You can't make someone's vertical get better midseason. Yeah, uh, he, he's also just kind of more of, like, a flat-footed athletes when it's better than summer league during summer league i was like well i don't know i don't know if he's gonna be able to like keep pace with like the nba just it it, he just felt really sluggish out there um now he's he's i thought quicken he's had really nice so he's had some pretty nice blocks on defense um elevating but yeah I, i think that the vertical pop for me limits his ceiling a little bit which doesn't always mean everything like you can look at somebody like nicholas claxton and be like that guy's got a super high ceiling. Well, he has to get there. Like he, otherwise, you're just gonna be like a utility big. Um, Dayron, I think we have a really good baseline already, um, and now it's just about him learning NBA schemes on defense, getting more comfortable. Uh, I, I kind of buy the shooting mechanics. I think that could be something he gets really nice elevation, at least on his free throws. Um, so that's another area of improvement. So you see where where he gonna where he can improve. I think he can become like a really solid starting center or, or at, at least a really overqualified backup. Yeah. I think the thing that I heard, I think PD Webb said this about his shooting mechanics. I think he had a specific shooting mechanics when he was in high school. And then when he went to UNC, UNC tried to alter it and then he changed it around. And then when he was going through like the pre-draft process and everything, he went back to his high school mechanics. And it's like, that's something else that I've noticed too. Like his free throw shooting recently has been pretty good for a center. And I know, like, I think it was during high school, he had the ability to stretch the floor a little bit. So I wonder, like, does that mean anything for him and his future in terms of like, does he have the ability to space the floor? Not that the Nets really need it at all, but I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, so I, yeah. And I, I think I want to say he took, he might've taken a couple threes in summer league. I buy that. I think that's going to be something that happens. Maybe not right away, but um, it'll certainly be something the Nets will experiment with. Maybe not this year, but in the coming years. They they try to do it with Jared Allen. Uh, granted, that's when they were more in a rebuilding stage with Kenny. They tried to do the same thing with Clax. Really, his rookie year, he was taking a bunch of threes. So I wouldn't be shocked if they give it a shot with Dayron um, this upcoming this upcoming not this season but the one after that i could see them doing a little bit especially in like preseason and stuff um kessler edwards that's that's the one i'm fascinated by everybody else uh what have you thought of him i thought when he got drafted and after like the nets finished like making the roster for the most part i was like saying on twitter that i don't know how i'm not that i was saying on twitter that they should be playing him because when you look behind joe and kd there's like no shooting in the forward rotation, right? And he pretty much provides like everything you would want in a modern wing. You have a wing that has a plus wingspan, has the ability to space the floor, can play guard multiple positions, play multiple positions. And it was just really weird how this team was struggling with spacing the entire year. And we're like, 
hey, we have this rookie here that solves all the problems to a degree and you're not playing him. So I'm glad that he's getting a chance. He's done really well. Like even just over the last few games, like he's guarded Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Garland, Evan Mobley, and Bradley Beal. That's like a crazy five-man unit to guard over a course of like three to five games. Um, He's a really good team defender too. There was like a play against OKC, even though that game was just awful. There was a play against OKC that really highlighted his team defense where he was guarding, I think, Ty Jerome. He stopped the Ty Jerome drive. Ty Jerome passes it to Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who gets Blake Griffin in the air on a pump fake. He drives after the pump fake, and Kessler stops that because he stunts at him, passes it back to Ty Jerome, stops Ty Jerome. Then Lou Dort gets the ball, blows by Javon Carter, and then he blocks Lou Dort's layup. Just like stuff like that being a roaming team defender, like that's just something this team doesn't have outside of DeAndre Bembry, and DeAndre Bembry obviously has his limitations. Uh, the other things, his catch and shoot for threes are really good. I think he's shooting 40% after last night, which probably isn't going to be sustainable, but that's pretty much like a really good outcome for this team. They just needed someone to just spot up in corners and maybe relocate to get themselves open and shoot open threes. And he's done a really good job. The one thing that I think has been really interesting, and there's not like a lot of data points on this or a lot of sample size on this, but he's shot off the dribble a little bit so far this season. And I thought that was really interesting because just given how his mechanics with his jumper are, I wouldn't take him as a guy that is feeling comfortable to take jumpers off the dribble. Like in the game against the Sixers, he took a shot off the dribble. He did like a pound dribble and then hopped into a jumper against Andre Drummond that it went in. He had a dribble hop against Dinwiddie the other night that he made for two. And I don't really expect him to do that. And it's not really going to be something the Nets expect him to do for this team because they don't really need him to do that. The other thing that I would like to see from him is just shooting off of screens just because of his footwork and his mechanics. I think shooting off of screens isn't probably going to be his thing, at least right now, but he's had moments this year. I think he had a play against Chicago where he was coming off like two pin downs and he came off and shot a three and made it off a screen. So I thought that's really interesting. And they don't need, obviously they don't need him to be Joe Harris when Joe Harris gets back and they don't need him to be Joe Harris period. But I think just for him to add more to his game and do something like that, shooting off the screens would be pretty good too. Yeah. I, uh, I, I thought the, I think it was against the Pelicans where he came off the stagger. I thought that was interesting that yeah. the, that the, uh, that the coaching staff is like starting to run that stuff for him. I like the pick and pops too. Um, they've ran a, a couple, I think it's been with both Harden and Kyrie. They'll, they'll empty out a side. So they'll just basically put all their shooters on the other side of the floor and let those two guys cook. And, um, that's been a really solid look. What I've liked about that, he's been able to make pick and pops going to his left and to his right from what I've seen. Um, that's big. I, cause I know coming out of college, I watched his scouting video shooting while moving to his left was a little bit of a weakness for him. So he's he's cleaned that up. Um, and then uh, you mentioned it, just the counters that he now has. And they're not like, I, I wouldn't say they're like for sure, sure thing counters. Like I, we need more of a sample. But the early signs of him being run off the line, being able to make a two dribble pull up, or even that little runner that he's got, uh, just having those are, are really going to take his ceiling a lot higher for me. And even in just year one, the, the stuff that needs to work or needs some work is just the at-rim finishing. Um, he's been, I think he's a fifth percentile 
uh, at rim finisher, which is not good. He's shooting, I think, 45%. Um, it's somewhere around there at the rim. That's not good, especially for a 6'8 wing. He's had his shot blocked a lot. It's been weird. Him and Dayron have just gotten swatted a bunch. So that's that's been an odd part of, of the process for both of them. But he's been impressive. Um, I think you hit on just about everything. The screen navigation is probably the last thing I'll touch on. Really like how he gets around screens. He's good at mixing in overs and unders. He's very um, he just chooses those those opportunities well. Goes under screens against the right guys. Goes over screens against the right guys. Recovers really well. Um, picks his angles correctly to do that. And that just to be able to do that at six eight is is a big deal. So um, he's been very impressive. Yeah, the other thing I would want to see from him, and it kind of goes to like the finishing at the rim, is just being more aggressive on drives and like being willing to take contact. When I was going through like some of his finishes at the rim today, it felt like he was kind of avoiding contact when he was going up. There was like a play against the Spurs when they were playing in Brooklyn, and he had like Bryn Forbes on the baseline, and he like put his body into Bryn Forbes and he just like barely moved him at all. And then he took like a really difficult layup, and then they had the game against Portland where he got like a steal on an inbound and he tried to do like a Euro step or a sidestep against Dennis Smith Jr. And it just kind of got stopped and he just didn't like put any force into Dennis Smith Jr. And he kind of just threw up a like really bad shot attempt. So I think for him, just being a six, eight wing, just being able to use like your physical body and get to the rim a little bit better, that would help a little bit. Yeah, I want him to start leaping off two feet a little bit more. He had a drive against maybe Chicago uh could have been could have been the pelicans but one of those two teams and he went off one foot i believe it was his left foot and tried to do this little scoop layup that like i don't even know if it hit the rim uh you know it went off the backboard and careened off so if he could take that and and do that drive over again maybe take one more step which comes down to his handle which needs to improve um to say the least if he could take one more step, go off two feet, that's going to allow him to play into contact more. He'll have more body control. Uh, maybe he could score like an and one or something like that. It doesn't have to happen every time. Obviously, you can't get to that every time, but it'll slow him down a little bit and just make him be able to play through contact in a way that he's not doing right now. So that for me, and again, that's not going to be something that maybe we see this year, but in, in future seasons, I think that's a big way for him to clean up the edges without you know turning into this guy that, has to build out this like insane, I don't know, uh, and one handle. Like he doesn't need that, but if he can clean up those things at the rim, just in terms of like his fundamentals, I think that could really help him. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll we'll do Cam, and then we'll kind of get ready to close this thing out. I do want to try to catch this. Uh, what's well, it's Suns Mavericks right tonight? Is that who's playing? Yeah, I think Suns Mavericks. All right, I kind of want to watch that game. Uh, so Cam Thomas, uh, I'll, I'll just go off on my piece. I don't have a ton on Cam. Uh, the big thing for me is that he has started to get to that 12 to 14 range, uh, 12 to 14 foot range that he seems way more comfortable in with a lot more frequency, which is good. Um, and I think it's really helped him just build a level of, of rhythm in the game. Um, and, and just be more effective, be more of a plus out there. So I like that he's said, hey, like, I, I do want to contribute. I do want to be a guy that can play off the ball. But also, this is the spot that I'm hitting from. Because the three-pointer is just, like, it's all over the place. It feels more all over the place than I've even than ever this year. It's, some of the misses have just been, like, every single direction. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I saw like a stat. I forgot who tweeted it, but it was talking about how like Cam Thomas is like in the 80th percentile in terms of like mid-range jumpers or something like that. If you take his shot attempts, which is for a rookie, that's really impressive, obviously. And it's just crazy to think like the Nets have maybe four really good mid-range shooters and one of them is a rookie. He's really like every time he shoots like a mid-range jumper, I think it's going in because it just looks really good and looks really pure. The three-point shooting obviously is probably the big thing that's going to be holding him back. The three-point shooting just been kind of all over the place. I don't think teams really respect him from deep right now. Not really a catch and shoot threat, not really an off the dribble threat. So that's pretty much the big thing for me. The other thing I think that's interesting about him, I don't know if I mentioned this, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time. But something that's really interesting with him on drive attempts, or at least some drive attempts that I noticed, is he does what like Goran Dragic does, and he uses the rim as a protector of sorts, where if he knows he has a player behind him that's trying to size him up for a block, he, he'll he know that and recognize it and use the rim as a way to shield himself so his attempt won't get blocked. So if he's going down the left side of the court, he'll take like one extra step to go underneath the rim and finish with his right hand. I think that's just like really smart and really crafty. But yeah, that's really, I don't have much on Cam either. Like much hasn't really changed for him except that he's a really good mid-range jumper. Yeah, um, he's uh, he's shooting 63% from the short mid-range. That's the 95th percentile. Short mid-range is going to be uh, four feet and then just inside 14 feet. So that range that I mentioned earlier, he is like, he's elite. Like he's, he's not just good yeah, for he's rookie. Really good. He's like, he's elite in the league. Very fun. It's a fun shot that I don't feel like we see a ton of guys um, hit with that frequency. Katie's more of like, I think a guy that'll probably be a little bit more in the uh, long mid range type of category, which Cam's also good from, but that, that short mid range is really where he's been exceptional from. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't really have a ton from him. I'd like him to drive a little bit more. Maybe that's the last thing I have on him. Um, you know, see if he can draw contact, which he hasn't been able to do yet. And part of that might just be that he's a rookie and he hasn't earned the refs respect yet, but, um, that's, that's pretty much everything I got on, on cam. All right. So this is going to be a little bit of an awkward cut. I, I ended the podcast and Mark had two really great ideas that I wanted to hit on. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get in my producer mode and try to put this all together. Uh, Mark, let's, let's start here. I know you had a good question that I, that I wanted uh, to answer or us try to figure out. So I'll let you take it away. What do you think about the Nick Claxton rumors for trading? The Nick Claxton rumors. I think I don't understand the idea of trading him. Not because he's like this untouchable player, but because he gives you scheme versatility, which is so important. I feel like we've learned that even just last year. Um, You know, that they didn't really have like a great drop guy for the playoffs. Um so just not having that scheme versatility, I think, is a huge thing. That's your switch big. You're not going to have Dayron Sharp or Blake Griffin or whoever switch. I guess you could play KD. Then you run the risk of, of having KD run into the ground. If you feel good about James Johnson, I don't know if you can survive offensively. It's a rocky road, I think, a lot of times. So the idea of trading clacks, I think, is really weird. You better be getting something really good back. I've seen PJ Washington throw out, thrown out there. I think that's a solid option. But for me, the big thing is like, if you're just trading this guy to duck the idea of paying him and extending him or, or having to face that decision, I just so vehemently disagree with that. If that's the reasoning behind all this, 
I, like this is a championship year. You've got KD operating at this level. Um, oh, it looks wow. We just got it. I'm sorry. This I hate to do this. Shams Tarania. Speaking of Nets things, Shams Tarania just tweeted forward Paul Millsap and the Brooklyn Nets have agreed to find the four time All Star a new team where he can have a greater contribution, which makes sense. Uh, man, the Paul Millsap era. What a weird one. Anyways, with Claxton. I, that's my big thing is like if they're just ducking money that's i don't know that's just that you can't be doing that in a championship year yeah so the thing with me is i think yeah i agree with you i don't think it makes any sense to trade him i think he's the best center on this team he fits the switching scheme perfectly well i do have a question related to that but i kind of want to ask that's interesting at least to me but the thing is with claxton if you're trying to trade him he makes only like two million dollars which I'm saying very casually, but he makes $2 million. And if you're going to trade him, there's no player that's worth $2 million in the NBA that's going to have an impact for him or an impact for this team like he does, right? So you have to package him with additional salary. And the only additional salary available is Joe Harris. So I think like those two obviously have been in a lot of trade rumors recently. And I think they're probably intrinsically tied to one another, maybe just to see like what could the Nets fetch on the trade market but when you look at like players that make 20 million, you have Claxton's like one, two million, and Joe Harris is 19 million together. It's like Harrison Barnes, which no, I'd rather just keep Joe Harrison and Claxton, or like Jeremy Grant, which again, I would rather keep Joe Harrison and Claxton. So I don't really think there's anybody on the market that makes sense to really package those players for or really trade Nick Claxton for. So to me, if you're like you said, if he's doing it to duck the luxury tax and future payments, then that's kind of really weak. And Josiah would obviously really deserve all the shit you get. Yeah. Um, and it would, it would represent a trend. I've also seen Nick Batum thrown out there. That's I think pretty solid. Um, that's not a bad option. I don't know. Like does, I, I mean, maybe Nick Claxton moves the needle there, though they might just want to keep him and try to figure out a way to, to, I guess, cause he has a player option, 2022, 23. Um, you know, I, I there, they might just want to keep him and, roll the roster over another year for when they ideally have, um, you know, Paul George and Kawhi back healthy. So, you know, I, I don't know. I like, I, I don't know what the offer is. You're probably trading Claxton to a younger team or a team with a little bit more of an in, influx, I guess, of youth. And then Bruce Brown, like, is just sort of there to make money work. I mean, it just, cause I'll be honest, like who's trading for Bruce Brown that, there's like a million, there's clearly a million Bruce Browns in the league right now. If he, especially if he's not making the floater and he's not a role threat in that way, it's like, I I don't know what you do with him right now. So. I think that's interesting with Bruce Brown. I thought in his free agency, it would be really hard for him because there's only like five teams that make sense for him. It's the Mets, the Clippers who have Gary Payton Jr. or Gary Payton second. They have, the Clippers have Terrence Mann. You have the Mavs because they play like five out. They have a bunch of floor spacers, even though they all suck this year at shooting threes. But he would make sense with the Mavs. And also Charlotte would be a team that makes sense too, because they have a bunch of floor spacers and they have the ability to go small and play like P.J. Washington at the five and maybe like Gordon Hayward or Miles Bridges at the four and three. And then maybe you put LaMelo next to like Terry or whatever, or you put um, Bruce next to LaMelo or whoever, mm-hmm. right, for certain lineups. So and plus, Bruce Brown has a no-trade clause, so I don't really know what you would do with him in terms of a trade market because I think he's pretty much lost his spot on this team. You know, DeAndre Bembry's been better this year. Even though there's certain things I worry about with DeAndre Bembry, like the three-point shooting is real. 
The free throw shooting has been bad this year. He only finishes with his right hand at the rim. He will legit never attempt a left-handed layup. But you can look through everything he does. I got to watch for this now. <laughs> I, I legit, I think I looked at every layup attempt that he had prior to like the Thanksgiving Celtics game and every layup he takes, it's right-handed. I had not noticed that. He's shooting like an absurd percent at the rim though, isn't he? Am I? Am yeah, he's actually really good at the rim, but it's just crazy how he'll never attempt yeah. a left-handed layup. I, now I got to watch for this. Yeah, it's it's fallen a little bit. He's 67% with the rim, which is good. It's like 67th percentile. So, you know, in the up the what? Two th- upper two-thirds of the league. So, I mean, um yeah, I I I don't know. Bruce has just been I I even think like the defense, he hasn't looked completely the same since that hamstring injury. I just feel like that really interrupted the rhythm of his season. Um and I I guess the other, like, you, you kind of have to find a team that's going to be younger and have a guy that they also don't want to pay, which I think the P.J. Washington one is one I keep coming back to. Um, Cody Martin's another one that people have I've seen thrown out there. I think that would make sense. Just putting Claxton on, on um, Charlotte would make some sense, add a little a couple defensive guys. I know Charlotte's been pretty good defensively since the start of the new year. I don't know if I fully buy that right now, but... Just adding that little deflex, defensive intensity could be huge for them. So Clax and Bruce would obviously do that. Um, yeah, I, it's limited. I mean, they're just limited. Like I, I, there, I, I would not be shocked if there wasn't a move made. Uh, at the very least, it's going to be very marginal. The thing that I think, I think Nick Claxton does make sense for Charlotte. The thing that's really interesting to me is that. I don't know what the hell Nick Claxton's market is in the free agency pool. Like, I don't know what kind of contract he's getting. He's been hurt a lot these past two years. I don't know what money he makes. Like, the baseline for me would be, like, Robert Williams' third contract. Yeah, which I think he's, like, a 10 to 12 guy. Um, Just based on, like, the defensive pedigree alone. And you can you can talk yourself a little bit into the offensive stuff at least just the stretch that he had during december before he got hurt um so i i think that's probably the baseline um but i don't know i mean maybe i'm wrong like maybe he's missed so much time that uh, these things are kind of hard to i i never know on these things like what how much teams worry about injury concerns and like how much they factor that into their calculus of making deals but i i it seems like there's gonna be one team that'll be like oh wait this guy's this like super switchy big man that has a ton of potential great athlete like it it feels like somebody's gonna look at that say yeah we we want we want to get into that we want to see what we got here the one team i think would be really perfect and really scared if they got claxton is the raptors (laughs) you just have like five menaces on defense all the time you have fred van vliet Gary Trent Jr. has been better defensively. OG, Pascal, and then Nick Claxton. They're just not they're not gonna score, and you're just not gonna score either. So you're just gonna be in hell for the entire 48 minutes. I uh do, who do they have? Do they have anybody that the Nets would want that doesn't make I mean I'm, no, I'm I sorting right here? It's like Yuta Yuta Watanabe, uh Svi Mikhailuk. Yeah, it, they they don't really have anybody that's licking a crack in yeah. this playoff rotation. Uh but like the Raptors have been in rumors for like a center, but Nick Claxton makes total sense for them in their scheme. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm trying to look at anybody else. I mean, any younger team, I guess. Um, any of the teams in, I guess, the bottom of the of the East. 
Atlanta could be kind of fun. I could see that being sort of fun. I don't know what the deal would look like or anything like that, but I could see that being semi-interesting for them. Um, Okongwu's look really good, but you know, it's it's also kind of hard to project like what Claxon's going to be because um, mm-hmm. he does have like I just he's so he just hasn't progressed offensively. He's gotten better this year, but he's still not like a starting caliber offensive center. Maybe he is. Maybe that's too harsh. Um, but I get a little queasy thinking about that. Just the situations where <clears throat> teams are going to make him make plays in the short roll. And uh, so I, I don't know. I I, I, I think Toronto is what I really like. That's a good pick for who would make them the most dangerous. The other thing, and I don't want this to come off as like Nick Claxton slander, but how much value do you think, if we just remove Nick Claxton's name away from this, how much value do you think a center that's primarily a switch big but doesn't really excel in drop and coverage have in today's NBA? Uh, yeah, I don't love the scheme versatility. I also don't love that, like, if you're... Because there's a lot of give or take with him switching. Um, you better have another guy that can rebound out there. Yeah. That's the big thing. I remember in, like, the Milwaukee game, they were switching Claxton onto Middleton, and then you just have, like, Harden on Bobby Portis, and then Bobby Portis is just killing the Nets repeatedly. And it's like, yeah, uh, I don't think you should be doing this. You shouldn't be switching Claxton onto Middleton every time. And even then, like, he's not a great rebounder. And we mentioned, too, he's not really a drop big. He's not really a threat in that manner. He's primarily switch big. And if you're going to switch Claxton onto a perimeter player, you need to be sure, like, the guys on your team are rebounding really well. And And have, like... No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say quickly, like, you also... The opponent needs to have a guard in a way that is worthy of having a switch big switch out onto the... Like, he looks really great in certain matchups. Atlanta was a great game for him. Uh, Dallas against Luka. But then there's other games where it's like, it doesn't really make sense to have him out there. Yeah, I wish, like, the Nets would experiment more with just having him in drop and coverage instead of just saying, like, hey, just switch on to everybody in the pick and roll. Just let him play drop coverage a little bit and just see what it's like because you don't need to play switching scheme all the time. And, like, the other problem with that is if you're – playing drop coverage, you were relying on not only the big to be in position to take away a lob or take away a layup or a jumper, but you also are relying on guards to like, or whoever is the primary ball defender to get back in plays. And if that's Harden, he's not getting back into play. And Kyrie is kind of like iffy. There's sometimes he'll get back in plays and other times he won't. So it's kind of like they have to do a switching scheme, but yeah, I wish they would experiment more and see like what could Claxton do with a drop defense. Yeah, that's not been a point of emphasis since Kenny, really. Which um, I think you see that uh, it's just certain games you don't film at all. We mentioned the scissor set because, of course, we did. It was like the first thing we talked about. Uh, I, uh, I I've liked some of the stuff they've run. Like, what sets have stood out to you um, in the in the recent couple of games? So I don't remember when they started doing this, but I remember they started doing like an Iverson action, which I do not remember seeing them do ever last year. And they had an Iverson action where I think Patty Mills is the second screener. So Katie goes across, gets the second back screen from Patty Mills, and then Patty Mills pops out to the three-point line, and he usually just gets an open three. I thought that's pretty interesting because, like I said, they didn't really run Iverson cuts last year. Um, Trying to think what else. Something that they did for Harden, I feel like they did for Harden, like maybe early January, late December, was 
they were doing like something from the Clippers Lob City days where if you remember they would set horn screens out super high for like Chris Paul yeah. where he had the ability he had the ability to go left for one screen or go right for the other screen and then the person that didn't get the screen would just dive to the rim and just make it really hard on the defense. I feel like they were doing that for Harden a little bit and then they just stopped doing it. And then the other thing that they were doing for Harden, just a way to get him up court and get him downhill, was they were setting screens like near the midcourt line and having him go down the court. And then you look at the games recently, they're just not doing it anymore, which is like super confusing to me. It feels like an easy way to help Harden just get downhill and attack the rim and compromise the defense a little bit. But other than that, um, I don't think that there's anything much that I've noticed. The scissors plays, obviously being back is the big thing. That probably has mostly to do with Kyrie just playing more. Yep. Yeah, having Kyrie back, I feel like they've started experimenting. I like the point about the step-up screen. That's also a good way to use like somebody like Blake Griffin, who's a, a good screener. Um, that's a good way to get him free a little bit uh, and, and just you know set up your offense. That way you have guys in the corners now, so that also really helps. Uh, you know The guys can't cheat over as much. And um, so I, I like that point. I also, so like even there, they brought back, back an ATO or not a bounce set that they ran last year where it looks like usually they run it for, I want to say, I think they usually run it for Harden. Harden's the inbounder. He inbounds to a big man at kind of the elbow area and another player comes up for Harden and it looks like he's going to set a back screen so that Harden could go back door and go to the rim. And then at the last minute, he flips the screen, mm-hmm. turns into a pin down. Harden comes off that. Now his man's behind the play, turns into, I guess, Chicago action from there. Yeah. And that's usually a lob at the rim. I, they ran that play so much last year, and it was so effective. And I had no idea why they mothballed it and weren't running it. And they finally started running that play again. It felt like they were experimenting with things a little bit at the beginning of the year. But I'm happy they're going back to all those things that they ran last year because like why like if it ain't broke don't fix it like these sets are still gonna work um and even little things like they ran scissors scissors didn't go anywhere so they flowed into chicago yeah yeah. so i'm like i like that they're they have these base actions that a they're familiar with because they ran them all last year and b now they're pairing them together and um it just feels like they're doing a little bit more uh the horn stuff is interesting too what I like about running horns, where you have those two guys sitting at midcourt, is you can also just, it, it it's really hard to discern between are they running horns or are they going to run a double drag? Which again, like functions kind of the same way, but at least you're, you're I don't know, I guess you're having a pop guy. And a, it's, regardless, like it's, they're, they're mixing up their offense um, and, and making it a little bit less predictable. So you're not like, oh, here's Joe Harris coming off Chicago action. Let's just, let's just run him off the line. And then, you know, pull over a shot blocker uh, because we know he's not really a great live dribble passer. We know he's going to try to take a layup at the rim or, or go up and under. Uh, it, it doesn't feel as deliberate watching them. Recently, I, I found that. Yeah, the thing too, I think they ran that same Chicago play that you were talking about where they throw the inbound in. And then they have, I think they ran it yesterday where they threw it into like Lamarcus or Dayron. And then Patty Mills was coming up looking like he was about to set a back screen. And then last second, he flipped it into a Chicago action. 
for Harden. I, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. I really wish they just actually set the back screen just to have like an additional layer mm-hmm. and to see what would happen or how defenses would react instead of just saying, hey, we're going to just flow into Chicago action off of that action every time. Yeah, it would be fun. I'd like them to run like it was watching the Cavs. I'm like, man, I wish they'd run a little more like cross screen action, a little flex action. We'll see. There's time for them to do that. They also ran like UCLA offense stuff really early at the beginning of last year that could be interesting for somebody like Kyrie who when he because a lot of times Kyrie will bring it up and give it instantly to Harden if you can just get him to come off a UCLA screen and get straight to the rim that could be fun uh I've also like little things just having um Kyrie as a screener for Harden little little it doesn't even need to be a, a complex play but just using Kyrie in that way and how dynamic he is a off the catch b if he gets run off the line uh, that warps your defense. You can make plays from there. So um, overall, I, I've been much more impressed. I, I, you know, I've said that a little bit earlier in this podcast that the attention to detail hasn't always been there, but recently, I think at least on that specific side of things, there has been a lot more focus put forth into, hey, we're going to devise the best offense possible. And I think a big part of that is just having Kyrie back. And also discovering that you have shooters on the roster. Yep, that were, were were sitting there. That, that people were hyping. We were hyping up that you, especially, you had a really good thread, I think, over Summer League um, about Kessler Edwards. So it was like this stuff. We people were noticing this stuff as early as Summer League, and it was just, I don't know. I'm surprised it took so long, but hey, we, we got there eventually. Um, Mark, uh, thank you again for joining me. This was fun once again. Uh, where can the people find you on Twitter? Oh god, it actually made me have to actually remember my Twitter account. Yep. Shit. Uh, <laughs> I think it's what Mark L I T O nine. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. If you want to follow me, just go ahead. <laughs> All right. <laughs> go ahead. I like that. That's a good plug. Um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me, Matt Brooks MBA. Uh, although I'm assuming if you're listening to this, be like, I don't know how else you've discovered this podcast. I don't think I'm great at doing like discovery in that way. So, uh, yeah, thank you all. Thank you. First off, Mark, thank you for joining me again. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred streaming platform, Apple podcasts, Spotify, I don't know any other ones. <laughs> Those are the only two I know. But we're, we're all over the place. I, I know we're on pretty much every platform. Uh, Mark, thanks again. Thank you to everybody. And I'll talk to you guys next time.